Philips is focused on innovation to improve the health and well-being of people. Our devices and device-agnostic informatics solutions can scale across your enterprise to help care teams diagnose, treat, and manage patients with accuracy, speed, and confidence. By connecting the digital patient story, physicians and clinicians have intelligence for decision-making in the moment and insight to see beyond. It's our privilege to partner with you to care for the carers and to improve the lives of the people and patients they serve. Philips, innovation and you. This is Kate Cruz at the 8th Annual Becker's HIT Digital Health RCM Conference in Chicago. I'm here with Michael Hasselberg. Michael, to get us started, can you share a bit about yourself, your role, and your organization? Sure, love to. Um, thanks for having me. Uh, Michael Hasselberg, first and foremost, I'm a nurse um, who early in my career, kind of my claim to fame was developing a statewide telemedicine program before telemedicine was a cool thing or even reimbursing the state of New York. Uh, continued to, to move on in the innovation space and uh, currently serve as the chief digital health officer for the University of Rochester Health System. Fantastic. Thank you for that introduction. Michael, when you think of digital innovation and healthcare right now, what is exciting you the most? Oh, boy. You know, I, I, I'm probably going to give an answer that a lot of other folks have already given, generative AI, and I am absolutely bullish about generative AI. And, you know, one of the things that, you know, is really exciting for us is our innovation team got early access to GPT-4 on a secured private Azure instance, and we've had it now for months, and we have been putting PHI into it and really testing its boundaries of what it can do well and, and where does it fall down. And I have now come to the conclusion it has never been easier for health systems like mine to develop our own point solutions to solve our problems. My dev time on my innovation team has gone from six months to a year to days to weeks using this technology. So I am convinced this may be the first technology ever in healthcare that is going to make the lives of clinicians and providers easier. Yeah, that would, that would be fantastic. <laughs> um, what, so you're clearly, you know, at the forefront of this innovation, what have been some early key learnings for you and your organization? Yeah, you know, again, with the generative AI stuff, uh, really emphasizing that it is now really easy to build solutions. You know, I'll give a, a really good example. You know, one problem that my health system struggles with, which I would argue probably every health system in the country is struggling with right now, is patient messages and patient messages burning out the clinicians, especially, you know, with COVID and opening up our patient portals. Our patients have never had more you know, seamless direct access to our clinicians than they ever did before. Now, the simple problem of a patient message coming into the health system and then saying, this message should go to a staff member, this message should go to a nurse, this message should go to a provider. You think that'd be a super easy problem that we could solve? It's not. And my team, several years ago, actually right before COVID, we tried attacking this problem. Um, I put about two full-time data scientists on this problem. I had a whole kind of cadre of primary care docs labeling data, and we tried building our own NLP models, natural language processing models, to triage these messages. We first tried taking a structured approach to this problem, and we realized we didn't have enough resources to essentially build our own labeled 
data set large enough to solve it. We then took an unstructured approach and just said, machine, you determine where the patterns are in this data. Can you group those, those messages appropriately? And what we found out, the machine could not do it. Upside of that was when startup companies would approach me in my role of chief digital officer and say, hey, I know you've got a patient messaging problem. I have a machine learning algorithm to solve that problem. I could say to those companies, you're full of it. I know for a fact you do not have an, an algorithm to solve this. Fast forward to generative AI. As I said, you know, we got early access to GPT-4. And the first thing I told my team is, I want to re-attack that MyChart messaging problem. It took us two days, two days to tune GPT-4 to triage those messages with 97% reliability, 87% accuracy. We ran it in a shadow pilot, comparing it to our human nurse that manages those message pools. The AI outperforms the human nurse. Pretty impressive. That's just the beginning of lots of different solutions that now we, as a health system, can build ourselves leveraging these already massive pre-trained models. Well, and it, I mean, that's a fantastic example. I'm kind of mind blown here. Um, I can only like, and you say it's almost a hundred percent accuracy, but even, you know, when, if it isn't a hundred percent accurate, I'm sure the message still gets to some, a human that knows what to do with it, whether it's, you know, they can answer the question and just, you know, wasn't directly for them or they can forward it on to who it does belong to, which still, you know, that's not 300 messages a day in the provider's inbox. So exactly, exactly. And, you know, I've told my innovation team, you know, where we're going to focus this, this new technology, all non-patient facing applications. Now it has potential in patient facing applications, but we're not there yet culturally, Mm -hmm. but there's a lot of waste in healthcare on the non-patient facing side where you still have a human in the loop. Boy, that's just low hanging fruit. So where my priorities are, are actually now my providers, my clinicians, my workforce. Like, how can I free up their time so they can actually spend more time with the patient doing what they went to school for? And how do I get them out of work on time so they can go spend it with their family? Mm-hmm. That's where their opportunity is with this technology. And we're, we're coming up with lots of different uh, uh, applications to help re- remove that burden off of my clinicians. That's awesome. So moving on to my next question, um, and you've kind of touched on this a little bit already. What are the top priorities that you are setting for technology? And like, what are the, in addition to, you know, physician messages, what are some other issues that you're trying to solve? So it's a great question. So when I started my role um, as chief digital health officer for the health system, you know, several years ago, you know, my first priority was access. So, you know, how do I leverage the technology that my patients already have, their smartphones, their tablets, their computers, to more conveniently and seamlessly enter into my health system? So we spent two years building out our digital front door, um, and we've had a lot of success there. We then moved on to what I call digital patient engagement. How do I create that stickiness or that glue? Now I've made it easy for my patients to enter into the health system. How do I keep them engaged, engaged in my service lines, but just engaged in health promotion and health prevention in general? However, we've had to make a really significant pivot. Instead of continuing to build out those patient engagement opportunities and solutions, 
I've had a really shift over to my clinicians. And the reason is, is, you know, we created all this access, which is fantastic. Our patients have never been more engaged, but I've got a physician workforce, a nursing workforce that is on the ledge, you know, burnt out, ready to leave. And so we're really honing in on how do we make their lives better? Because if I don't have a clinical workforce, it doesn't matter what technology yeah. I introduce to my patients. It's not going to be successful. Yeah, absolutely. Where, and this isn't really a techno technology question, but it could be if there's, you know, a solution that you have in mind, but where is that balance between patient access to their provider and a provider still being sane? <laughs> oh boy, that is a, that is a, a tough question. And I think it's, different from one clinician to another. Um, and, you know, I think technology to date has opened up access points, like mm -hmm. on the patient facing side, a lot of success there. So the access points are open. The capacity on the other side is not there. And we're not going to double our workforce overnight. So, you know, we still need to continue on the patient facing side of how can we now leverage technologies in new ways where maybe you don't need a clinician on the other side. So maybe in the future, generative AI can just interact with patients and maybe take a lot of the, the, that interaction burden off of the, the, the clinician. Maybe we will eventually get there. And I think there's opportunities in digital therapeutics and mobile apps where you don't need a clinician on the other end to help reduce some of that capacity side. But at the same time, you know, again, really emphasizing and honing in at that point, I do have a workforce that went to school to do this, that are passionate about helping others who really want to be able to do that well and want to have more of that face-to-face -face clinical interaction. And I need to make that happen because our electronic health record made it worse on our clinicians. Uh, so, you know, really, again, freeing up their time, giving them that passion back um, and joy back to, to delivering clinical care, to me, is by far my biggest focus and priority. Absolutely. That totally makes sense. What is a piece of advice you would give to healthcare leaders or other people in your role regarding digital innovation? Diversity of thought and partnerships. You know, my innovation team is very, very diverse. In my group, I have a music professor. I have an English faculty member. I have a chaplain. Partnered with engineers, partnered with data scientists, partnered with computer scientists, under the same roof as faculty from my medical school, dental school, and nursing school. We're not a research shop. Our expectation is not to get grants, publish papers. We're truly the innovation team to support the health system. The type of solutions that we've been able to come up with using design thinking processes, leveraging that diversity of thought has been really impactful, really, really powerful. The other thing is partnerships. You know, I am, I'm actually really excited about the disruptors entering into healthcare. You know, there, there's a lot of discussion of, oh my gosh, should we, be trying to compete with these big retailers moving in? Oh my gosh, should we be trying to compete with the big tech companies moving in? I say it's the exact opposite. There, there are things that the disruptors 
do really, really well, given their experiences in other verticals that are outside of healthcare. So there are opportunities to learn with from them, partner with them. And at the same time, we have a lot of, as incumbents, as health systems, we bring a lot of knowledge. We bring a lot to the table to help what they're doing in healthcare that much stronger, that much more impactful. So I'm all about seeking outside the box partnerships with industry, with retail, with startups, um, because I just think it's going to make healthcare in general better for all of us. Yeah, that's been a little bit of a theme that I've heard of, you know, partnering rather than competing and how that's just going to make it easier, make it better and the way to go <laughs> overall. Um, is there a specific example that you want to share where integration of informatics led to improved patient outcomes or enhanced patient provider communication? You've already kind of given some, but any other? Yeah, you know, share? I'm going to go actually old school. You know, Perfect. I'm going to go back to an old technology today, telemedicine, okay. right? Yeah. COVID hits, every health system in the country, we had to turn on telemedicine like overnight. Some of us had experience in telemedicine, so it was easier to make that transition. But we went from, you know, our outpatient volumes being 3% telemedicine prior to COVID to literally within a week up to 80, 90% of what we were doing telemedicine focus. Now, when I think of informatics and I think of both my clinical informaticists um, on the physician and nursing side, we really leveraged data from those groups to inform how we deploy telemedicine, where we deployed telemedicine. Um, you know, things that we did were geocoding all of our patients, knowing where they were located, what social determinants of health they face, you know, was there internet connectivity out in those areas? Um, you know, were they only engaging in audio-only telehealth versus video-only telehealth? And some of the things that we learned from that that continues to form our evolution in telehealth was in my rural communities that my health system serves, and we're, we're the largest health system in New York State outside of New York City. So we have a massive geographic reach where you go... 20 miles outside of the city of Rochester, it is very, very rural, you know, uh, farming communities. Um, I'm an Iowan. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, you know. And, you know, what we had learned in the state of New York, you know, our previous government leadership has made a significant investment in broadband. So there was broadband out in these communities. So it wasn't an access to having internet to engage in telemedicine. It was poverty that these rural communities were some of the highest poverty communities that uh, we serve, and they couldn't afford internet in their homes. So the only internet that they had access to were the data plans on their cell phones. And video is very data intensive. And so our patients said, you know, I can't use up my data plan for a video telemedicine appointment, but I will engage in audio because you, I have unlimited yeah. uh, text and speech for most telecommunication plans. So what that led for us was, you know, doing a deep dive into our data. We found that it was actually these patients in these communities. It was our Medicaid patients, our safety net, our uninsured patients that had the biggest benefits from telehealth in our community. It was our informaticists that helped drive those insights. 
So what we did with it was kind of twofold. One, we did a very large analysis, one of the first in the country, which we published in the New England Journal of Medicine Catalyst about a year ago, showing that for the Medicaid patient population, all the myths that payers use to say, I'm not going to reimburse telemedicine at parity, we busted them all and got that, got that out there. So really kind of driving large policy change in the country around continuing to pay for telemedicine. The other thing is, we're thinking outside of the box for where can we set up essentially telemedicine locations in the community where that are convenient for patients. One of the things when we talk about the disruptors that I thought was potentially really, really transformative was in July of 2021, Dollar General comes out and says, we're getting into healthcare. We've hired a chief medical officer. So getting back to our geocoding of our patients, at the University of Rochester, outside of our city limits, 75% of our patients live 10 miles or more to the closest primary care office, and it gets even worse for our urgent care offices. Looking at those same patients, and we geocoded the Dollar Generals in our market, 85% of our patients outside of the city limits live within two to three miles of a Dollar General. So you think about that. What a great opportunity to think outside of the box, to capture patients in their own communities where we know we have broadband, we know we have Wi-Fi, and we could deliver telemedicine into those settings. Now, Dr. Wu, the CMO of Dollar General, is still figuring out you know, what their path forwarding strategy is, but it just gives you that concept of where there's opportunities to create new partnerships to deliver care into these communities. And again, informatics drove us that direction. Yeah, that's really interesting. You know, hearing... Dollar General, which its name, we all know what it means. And then we have the Walgreens and the CVSs that you think kind of have their foot in the door in healthcare. Do you know why they aren't doing these things or are they and we just don't know about it? Well, they are, you know, we know, you know, CVS Health has made significant investments into virtual care, telecare, Walgreens with Village MD, you know, ha have done the same, you know, where there is potential leg up for maybe a disruptor like Dollar General or even a Walmart is just a larger brick and mortar presence in the community than what CVS has or what Walgreens has. And, you know, that scale, you know, could have a, a big impact. But, you know, I like the direction that the the retail pharmacies are going. I like that they're partnering with, um, uh, you know, more kind of boutique virtual primary care entities to, to deliver care. I like that they're making significant investments in home care and, 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 and home care uh, partnerships. So I, I'm, I'm really hopeful that um, the more that these new market entrants continue to invest in healthcare, that it's going to force incumbents like me to do things different. Yeah. And we have to do things different. Yeah. So I, I think CVS and Walgreens are doing it. I just think others may have a larger presence yeah. to that makes capture more patients. That makes sense. So we, we went on to, we went back in the past for telemedicine, way, way back in the past. Although Olden day. <laughs> <laughs> back when I was a child. Um, Five years from now, looking into the future, what do you think it's going to look like? What are the most significant changes that there will be 
and how do leaders and people in your role need to prepare? Yeah. So, you know, I think everything always kind of goes, comes around and comes back. So, you know, early days of healthcare, our clinicians went out to patients' homes. Like, we're in patients' homes delivering care. You know, weren't having to be latched onto a computer documenting those notes. I actually think that that is going to be the future in five years from now. I think with ambient technologies, you know, there will not be a need for the electronic health record as we think of it today. Those interactions between patients and providers will be captured, you know, using speech recognition, which we're seeing with ambient documentation being captured with things like computer vision and sensors and cameras, capturing those interactions, documenting. So the clinician can, again, really focus on that empathetic, hands-on care that they went to school for. And I also think that value-based care is going to happen. I know we've been talking it for, for a really, really long time, but we're at a tipping point. COVID told us that not only will patients and providers engage in healthcare virtually, it told us that the traditional fee-for-service reimbursement model is unsustainable. And it told us that healthcare in the future shouldn't be focused on how many surgeries can I do? How can I keep my hospital at 110% occupancy rates? How can I keep patients coming through the emergency department. It's really told us that we need to focus on how many days can I keep someone healthy, independent, living in their own home. That's where the disruptors are making their large investments. That's what the big insurers are starting to shift towards. Government pools, Medicare Advantage, Medicaid Managed Care. We're seeing this really rapid growth of the pay-vire concept So I think healthcare five years from now will be more under capitation, really more focused on delivering care outside of the hospital walls, out into the community. And I think technology and these disruptors are going to help us get there. So I am so excited to be in healthcare right now because the future looks really, really good. And I can tell, I'm sure our listeners can hear the excitement in your voice, Um Is there anything else you want our listeners to know before we sign off today? Yeah, you know, I'm very proud of the University of Rochester and the University of Rochester Medical Center. You know, I was born and raised in in Rochester, New York. Um, You know, we're an innovative community, home of some of the, you know, large innovative companies that our country has seen, like Eastman Kodak and the birth of the digital camera and, and digital process. Xerox, you know, and their influence Xerox has had on Apple with Macintosh computers that came out of Rochester. And we still embrace innovation and that ethos in our community that although today the largest employer in our community is not no longer a big tech company like Kodak or Xerox, it is the University of Rochester. It is an academic health system. We want to be on the cutting edge. We want to be innovative. And you know, to do that, it's going to be a team sport. And we want to work with others that have that same why and essentially create this coalition of the willing and bring people to work with us in Rochester. And we may not, 
you know, do as well as the health systems in Silicon Valley or some of the Boston or New York City who have better branding, better presence than us. But I want the world to know we are leaders in Rochester. We want to make healthcare better and we want to do it with others. So if there are other health systems, industry partners, startups, reach out to us. We're always looking for new partners to, to, to make healthcare better for this country. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for your time today. It's been an absolute pleasure speaking with you, Michael. Loved it, Kate. Thank you. All right. It's so important for leaders at the top of organizations to keep learning, stay sharp, grow their networks. To help our audience better do this in a more simplified, personalized, and meaningful way, Becker's Healthcare has launched MyBHC. It's your trusted Becker's Healthcare experience and more with content, connections, events, and learning opportunities. Join the community free of charge at www.my.beckershospitalreview.com and we'll see you there. Mm-hmm.